0: This week, my co host Zachary Russell and I are heading back from our long July trips. We have headed opposite ways this month, and meanwhile, some fans are also heading opposite ways from the franchises that they once enjoyed and that many people once thought were too big to fail. These are fantastical franchises like Star Wars, DC, Marvel, Amazon's attempted Middle Earth show, and Doctor Who. They are all finding much criticism from fans. Some call this toxic fandom. Others say that this is just fans who are keeping creators accountable for bad art or violations of the canon. As biblical Christians, however, how do we respond to these controversies with discernment? Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meanings to the real world Christ calls us to serve. I'm E Steven Burnett, I publish loreheim.com. I'm an author and speaker. For example, I co-authored the book The Pop Culture Parent. And this is episode 122. Why are more fans turning against their favorite franchises? This has been much on my mind and although I'd love to have Zachary Russell with me for this episode, I thought I would take a crack at it. Talking about this because in this past month I've been seeing a lot more complaints about various franchises including Marvel and The Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, of course, being a slight exception because it's not the makers of the previous Lord of the Rings or even the Hobbit films that are coming back for another try. It's uh, Amazon Prime under a separate deal and slightly separate continuity, maybe. Oh, we're taking a crack at the Rings of Power TV show. So we'll talk about that later, but I must issue an early disclaimer. I don't want this to be an episode where I join all the other complaint industrialists in complaining about these shows and movies and stuff. Uh, because of the issues I mentioned in the intro. Yes, there are some issues with these stories. Yes, in fact, I've actually joined the numbers of those who have canceled the streaming services, but I'm not hate-watching these stories. In fact, uh, maybe that's why it's taken me so long to bring this up for discussion at Fantastical Truth. So that's why we're talking about this now. And it applies to you if, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, you are a fan or have been a fan of DC or Marvel or Star Trek or Star Wars or Doctor Who or basically anything Disney. This topic relates to you if you have especially grown frustrated with these franchises. and Maybe you've seen some of the articles or the videos that I've seen uh, where people are now making kind of a cottage industry, talking about stories going woke or stories ruining their canon or stories deciding to make the fans mad or things like that. It's going to be a fascinating topic, but of course, a fascinating topic like this makes us hungry. So let's snack on a few concession stands before we queue up sponsor one for this episode and then get to the main content. Concession stand open for business now. Uh, hopefully these ingredients are not too sour, or not too stale. Uh, as before, this is a Steven solo show. I did this a couple of weeks ago and then in the last show, uh, Zach was back and we did our episode about space colonies and Christ's return. So just easygoing topics now throughout the month of July. I guess it should be expected that things get a little hot, Uh, but I'm alone now in my studio uh, while Zach is traveling. I'm recording in advance of the Realmakers conference, and by the time you listen to this, I should be actually heading back from that conference, so you'll get to hear how that went hopefully next week. A second concession is, of course, uh, this topic could seem a little bit more political. I may slip and use the W word, woke, mainly because that is a language of a lot of these critics of the fantasy franchises. They will often say, well, Marvel is going woke or rings, uh, the Lord of the Rings, rings of power. Whatever are we going to call it? I want to call it trope because it's the rings of power uh, without the E at the end. So it's a trope. Maybe I'll just call it a trope uh, just to make it short. OK, so Amazon's trope, for example, they say, oh, it's going woke. Uh, they're running Tolkien. And I'm not passing judgment on that yet. We're still in the concession stand. All that to say, if we do touch on something that sounds political, we are trying to make this a means to greater ends. It's not going to join in the chorus of political criticism of these franchises. And that includes accusations about stories that have supposedly gone woke. Uh, I do not deny that secular agendas infest some of these stories. I'm trying to stay uh, mainly factual about it, at least this stage in the podcast. So just so you know, uh, the idea is to talk to people who may be sympathetic to that. Uh, rather than just uh, irritating them by yelling about the label, uh, when somebody may associate that word with something very positive, I'm trying to actually communicate to everybody here. Uh, the main issue I see infiltrating some of these franchises is not so much a particular view of tax policy or borders or even abortion or you know libertarian versus liberal versus conservative or anything like that. The main agenda I see is the agenda that I would call sexualityism. That seems to be the fastest growing religion in America. Uh, It emphasizes personal identity and romantic choice and relationship choice, all about absolute human autonomy, only limited by consent. And that is a religion that is opposed to all the other older uh, traditional faiths, including my personal choice, or rather it was chosen for me, uh, faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Uh, I think that some of these battles about fandom and the directions of the stories are necessary But I would like to call them sadly necessary. Uh, This is not a struggle that I would have asked for. I'm just trying to be over here, enjoying my stories, talking about them, exploring them as a Christian. And my purpose is to be happy. I'm not finding my happiness in fighting about these stories, but I'm not going to shy away from a fight if it is brought to me. I, however, do not want to make these battles my ultimate purpose. I ought to have a higher ultimate purpose as a Christian. The purpose of fandom, I think, is not about fighting over these stories unless it's, you know, more of a fun fight, a skirmish, you know, a fun debate with a fan who, you know, maybe stands someone else or ships two other characters or thinks the story could have taken another direction. Uh, the purpose, even in those fights, ought to be love, a shared love for the story, love among the fans. And for that reason, I'm actually going to spoil the ending of this show and take a quick preview of kind of an incidental key text for this whole theme. And it is the Apostle Paul's famous diatribe on love from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. In the ESV, this says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, and we're going to get back to that a little later in the show here. First, let's stop by our cover sponsor for this episode. Once more, it is a returning champ, The Wonderland Trials, the new fantasy novel by Sarah Ella, just released a few weeks ago from Enclave Publishing. Here's the back cover description of this new novel. Solve the clues, face your fears, survive the trials. All Alice Liddell wants is to escape her normal life in Oxford and find the parents who abandoned her 10 years ago, but she gets more than she bargained for when her older sister Charlotte is arrested for having the infamous Wonder Gene, the key to unlocking the curious Wonderland reality. Soon, Alice receives a rather cryptic invitation to play for Team Heart in this year's annual and often deadly Wonderland Trials. Now she has less than 24 hours to find her way into Wonderland where nothing is impossible, or what it seems the stakes are raised when she discovers players go missing during the trials each year. Will she and her team solve the clues and find the missing players or will betrayal and distrust win leaving Alice alone in a world of her own. Follow the white rabbit into this topsy turvy fantasy where players become prey, a sip of the wrong tea might as well be poison and a queen's ways do not always lead one where they ought to go. This is book one of the Curious Reality series from Enclave Publishing, the hardcover just released on July the 12th, and it's also available in audiobook form from Oasis Audio. Uh, Unrelated to this sponsorship, uh, Lorehaven got an advanced copy of The Wonderland Trials, and we wrote a review about it. We said, although indebted to a classic, The Wonderland Trials is inventive and colorful in its own right, abundantly able to charm and to intrigue. You can see that full review as well as the purchase links for the hardcover and audiobook by going to our show notes for episode 122 should be right there near the top, or you can go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. All right, let's go to chapter one, not of the wonderland trials, but of this topic. And I've titled chapter one, what is happening to our favorite fantasy franchises for those who are here to hear me rant. This is as close as you're going to get, because I have fastidious notes about this. In fact, I was a little surprised how aware I was, at least I think I'm aware, of all of the various controversies over all of these franchises, and this is as close as you're going to hear me get to ranting about them. So if I lapse into a rant and you're not here for that, trust me, I'm not going to stay there. The point is just to summarize the facts as I see them uh, while minimalizing my uh, opinions, but you're probably going to get some opinions mixed in, so here we go. Uh, As I mentioned, I started thinking about this more often when Thor Love and Thunder came out, uh, and that'll be our first stop for the uh, franchise that's getting some flack from fans. Say that 57 times fast. That'll be the MCU, basically the top king, the top hero of the box office ever since uh, Iron Man released in 2008. And the MCU, a lot of fans think, is kind of getting bloated now that we're into Phase 4. It was kind of inevitable uh, after Endgame wrapped the Infinity Saga uh, just a few years ago. And even then, I remember thinking, you know, just something in me craves completion. I know there's going to be more stories, and Certainly Endgame uh, set up some more heroes and more stories going on. So I know that it's going to continue. And I certainly want to see, you know, more from Spider-Man and some of these other heroes. And I'd like to see what other heroes are in the works to add to the MCU. You know, the Fantastic Four, X-Men, folks like that. What are we going to do with Daredevil? I mean, I'm I'm still trying to maintain some optimism there. But if the franchise goes further in in the direction of Thor Love and Thunder, I, I frankly am going to be disinterested. I've not seen Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, I didn't plan on seeing it. Uh, some of the stuff in the trailers was off-putting. It seemed to me to be doubling down on the over-the-top flippancy of the uh, director's previous movie, Thor Ragnarok, which I liked, but I didn't like it as a Thor movie. Anyway, this is not Thor movie, the review of the podcast, so I'll move on. But a lot of what I've heard from fans of this movie or fans of the MCU is that Thor Love and Thunder was just okay. Uh, apparently, it's just another one of those movies that proves, even after the pandemic lockdowns are over, Uh, that the MCU is just kind of at best holding steady at the box office. But it's also been proven not too big to fail. Uh, In my view, and at least what I've heard from some fans, is that the addition of the Disney Plus shows has added uh, a lot of more complexities to this world. There's too many cooks uh, stirring around in the pot. And now it seems to switch metaphors. Uh, Some of the creators are stepping on each other. Uh, I also did not see uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness but that's partly because I understood that it wasn't necessarily going to follow the continuity directly from the WandaVision TV show, which I ultimately enjoyed, uh, except for the uh, rather underwhelming uh, season finale or series finale, however you take it. Uh, I'm a big fan of Sam Raimi, who directed the OG Spider-Man films from 2002 to 2007. And so I was interested to see what he would do with Doctor Strange, who uh, is one of the many Marvel heroes that, with whom I share a name. There's Stephen Strange, uh, Steve Rogers, and at least one other, Stephen, I think, isn't that the uh, Moon Knight guy? I also didn't see Moon Knight, so Uh, I'm daring to talk about this topic having not seen a lot of these shows, but I do read about them a lot, and I have heard that some of the continuity is getting uh, a bit unwieldy. Uh, I think some of the fan expectations are getting unwieldy. Uh, Folks uh, were kind of brought into the MCU on the strength of a brand, on the strength of, to some extent, a formula. And now Marvel is trying to branch out, do something new. Uh, Now they don't have the momentum of the uh, Infinity Saga uh, driving all of the films. They got TV shows and films and all the other spinoffs. So they want to do new stuff. And I'm sure the directors want to get more creative. But now fans are expecting a brand. So if you do something like uh, the Doctor Strange sequel and, you know, some terrible happens to uh, Black Bolt cameo or something like that some fans get kind of upset and i'm sure there's a segment that goes whoa you know that was new we never saw it in a marvel movie before but it does at least lead to some instability uh, one of the thing in the marvel segment here uh, that leads to some instability is expectations by critics and social leaders you know leaders of that religion i mentioned earlier sexualityism who see that marvel is the biggest kid on the block and they say hey Uh, maybe you ought to have not only more ethnic representation in these movies, but we think you want to represent all these various sexual identities. And uh, directors, creators, uh, can't help but respond to that because it's a very loud, influential segment of our society. And so, for example, you get uh, instances, uh, like I saw in a recent uh, uh, interview with Anthony and Joe uh, Russo, who are the directors of Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Captain America, Civil War, and Infinity War, and Endgame. So that's four of the top Topmost Marvel movies, and they were asking them, "Hey, what do you think is going to happen next for Marvel, or should happen next?" And they said, uh, Anthony Russo said, "Just more of what they're doing, just more adventurousness, exploration, experimentation." Break quote. Okay, man, I'm with you so far. And then he says, "Just taking us to, to surprising places." Okay, still with you. And then Joe Russo re- uh, replies, and he says, "Risks, diversity, everything that they're doing." Yeah. Okay, I'm actually not. I I, I don't terribly disagree with that quote. But I, you know, because I know how I view the word diversity. You know, if you're bringing in more people, you know, people who look differently, who have different backgrounds, you know, uh, even uh, characters that the anti woke crusaders are always yelling about, like Miss Marvel. Like I didn't see the Miss Marvel show because I don't have Disney plus no more, at least for now. I'm just kind of agnostic on that, mainly because I'm finding Marvel a bit lackluster these days. But in theory, like, yes, please. More diversity. Absolutely. You know, let's have superheroes that look like our world uh the world that christ has made uh, the world of people from whom he's going to bring saints from every tribe and tongue and people and nation i'd love to see more of that in a superhero shows but i know how other people are reading that word diversity and i know that then some of the criticisms are correct that means sexual identity diversity and if you're going to do that if you're going to experiment in that way uh, then increasingly the stories are not going to be about the heroes as much as they are about the sexual identities Anyway, that's enough about Marvel. I'm moving on real quick to Doctor Who. I could rhapsodize so much about this. Uh, Once the 12th Doctor regenerated a few years ago in this British science fiction show, uh, I knew that they were finally going to turn the Doctor into a woman. And I have no issue at all with heroines. I mean, a lot of my uh, most favorite stories uh, feature uh, female heroes who are leading the thing. They're not just the supporting cast or part of the ensemble cast of heroes. Uh, but in this case, the doctor has always been a man and just personal preference, just, just based on personal preference, I was no longer interested in this, but I would have been interested if the current or the then current showrunner, Stephen Moffat, uh, had stuck around with the show, but I knew that Moffat was leaving the music composer, Murray Gold was leaving Peter Capaldi, the actor who played the 12th doctor. He was also leaving like it was just a clean sweep, uh, even more so than it was when the previous showrunner, Russell Davies, uh, handed things over to Stephen Moffat when the 10th Doctor regenerated into the 11th. Regeneration, by the way, is what the character does. If you're not familiar with the franchise, it's uh, featuring a time-traveling Time Lord who has a time machine, and whenever they need to reboot the show or recast the main character, they just have him regenerate. It's an in-story explanation that was originally made way back uh, with uh, William Hartnell's first Doctor. Uh, They needed to recast him into Patrick Troughton, uh, the second Doctor, and so they just wrote this into the story. Not a surprise new power that the character had, but it stuck for a long time. And largely, it's managed to keep the show flying through space and time, uh, even though the cast and crew changes all the time. Anyway, so they changed the showrunner to a guy whose stories were the dullest uh, of the past several seasons. Uh, I shall not mention his name here. It just was underwhelming, uh, unlike Stephen Moffat, who wrote some great stories under the previous showrunner. Uh, And then they cast a a female actor as the doctor. And I'm like, okay, I don't really care if this is agenda, but it kind of feels agenda-ish. It kind of feels like a thing the critics want, but the fans didn't really ask for. So I'm just going to break. I'm just going to break from Doctor Who. And then after that, everybody, you know, the loudest people who'd weaponized the criticisms, but also the people who were lamenting the changes, were talking about how much worse the show had gotten. So I felt justified in leaving that fandom, at least for now but will I come back because they are kicking out that showrunner and 13 is going to regenerate into 14th doctor. And then they're bringing back the showrunner of old uh, from 2005 who started up the show again uh, back then. And now he's back Russell T Davies, but has he also regenerated? That's what fans are asking. There was this whole arc that they did called the timeless child where they went back into the doctor's mysterious past and made it less mysterious. And then according to everything that I've read and watched, except the show itself i admit i haven't seen it by the way if i mess anything up i know y'all will correct me about this one but apparently they added this whole thing with the timeless child where they explained the doctor's backstory and they built in like dozens or maybe hundreds of regenerations of the character even before the first doctor so they kind of went back and they retconned everything and that way you can get your diversity points ex post facto The Doctor is no longer just a Time Lord. Uh, He or she is actually some super supreme being, uh, which removes the character even more from her relatability in theory. Uh, But also, you seem to be disrespecting the past. William Hartnell, uh, that actor from 1963, is not the first Doctor. The first Doctor is a woman or a little girl or something like that. I don't like that idea. I prefer to keep the mysterious, tragic past mysterious as well as tragic. I'm not sure whether I will like what Russell Davies wants to do with the show, even though he's bringing back previous Doctors, as is the Doctor Who preference whenever you roll around for an anniversary special. But he also seems to be committing a mistake similar to Marvel, where he keeps talking about like maybe a Doctor Who multiverse. I'm losing my taste very quickly uh, for the multiverse. When you already have big budget movies that are struggling to keep the stakes conceivably high for the audience, I think that introducing the possibility of different versions of these characters uh, from other time streams or other dimensions, I think that unless you're very careful with the rules, uh, that can lead to too much freedom in the story. So I'm a little annoyed by the multiverse right now. Please, Doctor Who, don't do the multiverse. And by the way, according to all of, I think, the legitimate critics, Please stop making TV shows that are basically excuses to rhapsodize against global warming uh, or racism or things like that. Like, that's great. You can build that in. And previous Doctor Who has done that, at least starting in the mid-2000s. But it has seemed, by all accounts, to sideline the stories. Oh, great. Now I got to talk about Star Wars. So real quick about Star Wars. Uh, Y'all know that every time Zach and I bring up The Last Jedi, one of us, it's usually zach actually, uh, has to make a snarky remark. i'm agnostic about the last jedi i've seen it once and that was enough um i didn't hate it when i finished it but i didn't like it either Uh, whereas uh, for the force awakens in 2015 uh, i really liked it when i finished it and then went back and saw it again the next weekend and then after that it just kind of was okay so maybe i bought into the hype yay star wars is back i'm not sure Anyway, fans are constantly fighting about Star Wars. Uh, the Mandalorian TV show, uh, despite coming from a warrior race, ironically offered fans a ceasefire. I think fans enjoyed the old meets new aesthetic uh, that the showrunner, Jon Favreau, uh, and the uh, previous Star Wars guy, Dave Phil How do you say this, Star Wars fans? True Star Wars fans, Dave Filoni. Uh, it almost sounds like I'm saying Dave Felony, uh, but he, unlike other Lucasfilm executives, did not commit a felony against Star Wars. Everybody likes what Dave Filoni does with Star Wars. And everybody was liking The Mandalorian. Uh, but then, uh, whether it was fans feeling satiated or maybe they were complaining too much about the Luke Skywalker CGI or whatever, uh, th- either way, then Disney also fired uh, Gina Carano. Uh, fans got lackluster about the book of Boba Fett, which had a great theme song. And I frankly enjoyed it. And I'm not sure what everybody was complaining about. But then again, I don't have this, you know, 45 year old headcanon of what Boba Fett was getting up to. And I've never read any of the extended universe novels about him. So, I'm agnostic about the character. How am I even talking about this? It's supposed to be a summary. Anyway, more about Boba Fett another time. I think that response of fans wasn't so much to do with like perceived agenda moments in the story, uh, headlines about the rise of Skywalker, background characters doing things notwithstanding. Uh, Star Wars seems to have had a natural immunity against the uh, sexual revolution, the sexualityism agenda. But then there are some fans who get really nasty, for example, about characters they perceive are formed just for the purpose of diversity quotas. And yes, I'm talking about the character from the recent uh, Obi-Wan TV show, which again, haven't seen. They could have handled the character brilliantly for all I know. I'm just observing. This is why fans are yelling at it. Uh, there was a bunch of YouTube videos recently uh, where there was a, uh, uh, I think it was a Hasbro fundraiser for like the Riva $500 a lightsaber or something like that that just failed uh somehow disney and hasbro the big toy maker uh, couldn't raise enough uh, interest uh, even to sponsor making i guess these 500 hundred dollar lightsabers anyway more on that another time as well i actually wrote about the uh, star wars phenomenon uh before i think it was well yeah it was 2019 uh, when we were still doing speculative faith articles and the rise of skywalker teaser trailer came out And folks just absolutely hated it, or at least the loudest folks hated it. And I was frankly surprised by that, even after The Last Jedi. And I wrote an article, you'll see in the show notes, it's linked, and I say, so do we all just hate Star Wars now? Is that how it is? And I guess I was new here. My first time, as the meme says, uh, featuring uh, James Franco standing on the Hangman's platform. I've gotten used to it now. Uh, Fans are going to yell. Uh, They're going to be passionate, as one actor described them more optimistically, as I'll quote from him later. Uh, But in this case, it did just seem to be kind of reactionary. Um, And frankly, it got to me. Uh, My wife and I didn't see The Rise of Skywalker in theaters. Uh, The first time we saw it was on Disney Plus, actually. And I frankly felt kind of underwhelmed, maybe just because the hype factor was down, maybe because we were watching on a TV at home. I don't know. Uh, Star Wars hype seemed to fade and then flare up again with the Mandalorian and now it's kind of uh, <laughs> kind of flatlining now. All right I got a few more to go through here as we wrap up chapter one uh, This is more of the halfway point of chapter one really. Uh, I was talking about Star Wars uh, let's go to the Rings of Power real quick the trope TV show from Amazon Prime. Uh, from what I've seen well of course I haven't seen the show and there was a teaser trailer that released uh, just a few days ago as I am recording this but I must admit that although I was initially very interested and at least there was one rumor seemed to be reputable early on that they had enlisted the talents of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit film composer, Howard Shore, blessed be he. I hope he's a Christian because I'd like to shake his hand someday for making some of the best music ever better, even than the films, which are spectacular. Whether or not they got Howard Shore, uh, the showrunners have kind of lost me uh, because at least in the PR about this show coming to Amazon prime, what is it, later this year? I think it is. They keep talking about, uh, they keep talking a good game about honoring Tolkien, but then they seem to think that along with honoring Tolkien's organic themes uh, in The Lord of the Rings and his supporting material, uh, they also want to honor Tolkien's emphasis on diversity and a lot of these things, a lot of these buzzwords that may be good and virtuous, but certainly are not of primary emphasis in Tolkien's Middle-earth. I've frankly become disinterested in the show, if if not because of the teasers and such, but just because of the marketing. They're just not marketing it well, even if it is an amazing show. It's not the ethnic diversity that bothers me either. I am um, perfectly fine with showing people of different skin tones in Middle Earth. Uh, in fact, you know, it's no great insult against the Lord of the Rings or Sir Peter Jackson or any of the crew down in New Zealand. Uh, that they didn't have more ethnic diversity. Guys, it's New Zealand. (laughs) You can only do so much with the folks you've got. And of course, it was a different time. Do not throw out the past just because it isn't as colorful as you'd like. The films are still fantastic and the films are still of value to anyone who's paying attention, no matter what your background is. So I don't mind the ethnic diversity and the, the trope teasers. It's the egalitarian elves that are annoying me some. Elrond doesn't look right. I mean, they're kind of trying to head fake in the direction of being in canon with uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films, but obviously they're different actors. It's more of an effect like recasting uh, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock a couple of times for the Star Trek franchise. I'm okay with new casting, but when you make Galadriel into just another warrior queen, now you are stepping on Tolkien. Now you are going against a theme that he felt was so organic to his universe that you actually have to explain it. Usually it's the males who fight and the women who fight in other ways. Men are the ones who ride out to battle. But as Sir Peter Jackson and others said about the initial idea of having Arwen at Helm's Deep, that doesn't work. It doesn't fit with Tolkien. And as Liv Tyler herself said in a behind the scenes interview, which I really appreciated, God bless her for understanding this. She said, and this is almost a direct quote, you don't have to put a sword in her hand to make her strong. I think that is just such wisdom from Liv Tyler expressed in that behind the scenes and wisdom from Peter Jackson to say, well, we don't want to put all these different political messages into Middle Earth. We know we got to make a movie. We know that that requires changes, but we don't need to go political. We want to honor the spirit of Tolkien as much as we can. Amazon's marketing, however, does not honor the spirit of Tolkien. Uh, They've had fake uh, social media experts on Tolkien uh, who just mainly use a bunch of buzzwords. Uh, That video was roundly uh, condemned by more tolkien fans uh, there's been a lot of posturing about uh, the the diversity and stuff that just it strikes some as unnecessary at best i think right now though we are getting some good lord of the rings adaptation news and it's from uh, philippa Boyens' scripted uh, war of the rohiram film which is actually going to be an anime uh, exploring the background of helm hammerhand and how helm's deep was founded Now, that looks interesting to me, and uh, with parts of the Lord of the Rings films and certainly the Hobbit films basically being live-action anime, New Zealand style, uh, this may be a project to watch, so some positivity there. All right, two more. Oh, I've said enough about DC. I don't want to talk about DC in this one unless they announce something amazing at Comic-Con after I had recorded this, but before we release, DC's all over the place, and until they get a new head for the studio, nobody knows what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing. My Snyder cut bros don't know what they're doing. We like to pretend we do. We don't. Uh, there was infighting at DC, more about creative direction. Make it more like Marvel. Make it darker than Marvel. You know, Make everybody's heads get cut off. You know, there's all kinds of people pulling in different directions there. It wasn't so much uh, being hijacked by sexualityism or social or political issues as just creative differences. And either way, uh, fans got polarized. Like some hated Batman v Superman. Some liked Batman v Superman. I wasn't sure what to think at first. And then once I did my research, I loved it. Similar to Man of Steel. And I especially love, as you all know, Zack Snyder's Justice League. And I want him to come back. Hashtag restore the Snyderverse. For example, though, there, there, was, there is kind of a political thing. At least some people were trying to get more socialish agenda. Uh, they had a perfectly good Superman, actor Henry Cavill, who I hope will come back. He's still keeping the cape in his closet. And he says he's open to it. But then for a while there, they kept putting out news stories about how they were going to make uh, different stories about different Superman from different dimensions or something. And they had hired a notable uh, political pundit uh, to make the script for a supposed Superman movie. And they kept talking about it, but nothing has actually come of it. And my guess is it will probably get canceled, like uh, 75% of the stuff that they've boldly announced they're going to make at DC. Who knows what they're doing? But of course, I'm actually optimistic that by the time you hear this, we may have some news about what DC is going to do, and I really hope that they will emphasize heroic stories first, noble darkness, noble brightness, and all, just no flippancy, please, and none of this weird social stuff that uh, gets excused because multiverse, uh, but fails to commit to a linear story uh, that honors the spirit of the comics and the spirit of meta-human heroics. Ah, now this one's going to be fun. I'll close off with this one. And I wasn't going to say this last, but I managed to find some uh, new stuff that puts a more positive spin on this, and it's Star Trek. Okay, so I've been a big Trekkie for at least uh, for a while. Uh, Certainly, I wasn't around for the original 60s shows. Uh, I wasn't even paying attention when Star Trek The Next Generation started in the late 80s. But I caught up to the series in the mid-2000s, and I've watched almost every episode that they've made uh, through uh, Star Trek Enterprise. And there are a few episodes I skipped just because they're really bad or they're really agenda laden and I just didn't really care to see those. Thank you very much. Yes, I skipped the really bad one where they turn into worms in Star Trek Voyager. Uh, thank you, Memory Alpha, for heading me off of that dreadful story, which I think even the <laughs> credited writer of that story is disavowed. Uh, Star Trek is dividing fans for more reasons than an occasional bad story on Voyager or Enterprise or something like that. But I think this year has actually brought a very notable exception to that. Okay, so uh, it was originally CBS. The CBS streaming app started Star Trek Discovery, which I tried and and liked parts of it, but then it just kind of started to fall apart. Uh, It was pushing the canon. They didn't just redesign the Klingons and made them into houses and tried to do all this Game of Thrones in space type stuff, or at least that's what it felt like to me. Uh, The plot and aesthetics were certainly pushing the Star Trek limits of canon. Uh, fans hung in there for a while i think i finished discovery season one and then by the end where people are rolling around naked i went okay peace out like i'm 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 done with this unless you all do kind of a a a palate cleanser for season two uh then i'm gone uh the show kept embracing though according to uh, other fans who kept watching it Uh, apparently now the main criticism is the main character is always crying you know and I haven't seen those episodes, but I did notice in season two that it leaned really hard on the whole heel from your tragic past thing. Uh, Michael Burnham, the heretofore unknown uh, human adopted sister of Spock. Like how many lost siblings does Spock have? Uh, didn't he have a lost brother in uh, Star Trek five? <laughs> I think Spock must have a lot of siblings running around there. Uh, Sarek and his wife were certainly good foster Vulcan parents. There, uh support Vulcan adoption of earthling children. However, it just got a little bit more weepier and Spock is traumatized and Michael Burnham is traumatized and everybody's traumatized. And, you know, if you're that traumatized, maybe you ought to leave the starship and go back home to Earth and heal or at least get uh, Counselor Troy's great grandmother on board uh, to help you with some space therapy and some telepathy. Anyway, fans scoffed at all the crying. And I think maybe this is dude bros posturing sometimes. But then again, it's not really to my taste either. I'm there for Star Trek. I'm not there for Star Weep. Uh, and there were some other political choices in the making of uh, the Star Trek Discovery show. There was at least one uh, failed candidate for Georgia governor who appeared as, I think, the president of Earth. Uh, and that made some news uh, with all the uh, the right-wing pop culture observers who were just absolutely scoffing outright. And I have to admit, I I think that's pretty much... A, a world-breaking stunt uh, that brings i think most viewers completely out of the universe especially if you know who that is and you know that she can't act very well i did mention though uh, that i wanted to hang in there for season two for a star trek discovery in case they did a palate cleanser well they did do a palate cleanser and i'll mention that in a moment and it turns out to maybe have been the one artistic choice that could save new star trek shows I thought that uh, choice was going to be the Star Trek Picard TV show. I thought that sounded fantastic. Let's catch back up with Picard. We know the world's a little bit more complex. We know that he's definitely older. Uh, let's do some explorations on human mortality and bring in some folks from the other shows like Seven of Nine and do some crossovers. Make some fans happy. You know, Let's do something fun with uh, bringing closure to Data's death and all of that sort of thing. And then unfortunately, Picard, kind of like Discovery, just went too violent. Like my wife and I were watching it together. And then suddenly, you know, someone's doing a, you know, a live eye removal of this poor man. And turns out that's actually uh, in universe, this character who was introduced in Voyager as kind of an adopted son of seven and of nine. And it was just brutal and mean spirited and seemed really unnecessary. And then by the end, uh, spoiler alert here, uh, Picard is dying and they seem to have left it open as to whether or not they'd bring him back in some way, depending on whether Patrick Stewart wanted to sign on the line for a season two. Patrick Stewart did, so they transferred his consciousness into a super advanced uh, android body. So it's not really Picard, it's a Picard droid, and I don't like that. I don't like that at all. It's actually contradictory to the spirit of uh, the human understanding that Star Trek has. You know, you live, you die the most of your life while you have it you know your purpose is to explore and better yourself and therefore the human race you know classic humanist stuff uh if you are trying to avoid your own mortality by jumping into a robot body that is in contradiction to the star trek ethos so i didn't like Picard season one haven't seen picard season two not interested but the show i found just within the past few days as i'm recording this the show i found was actually star trek strange new worlds youtube started to feed me some clips And I liked uh, Captain Pike and number one uh, for their guest appearances in discovery season two. And suddenly I'm realizing y'all took two shows and what is it? Four to five seasons before you got a new good star Trek show. I've now seen the pilot episode and it's fabulous. Like with a few exceptions, this is actually a star Trek show you could watch with kids, which kind of ought to be the point of at least older kids. Maybe they're bored by the discussion about philosophy and such. But at least they're not going to see people being cut up on screen in order to show how dark and terrible the universe can be. Star Trek Strange New Worlds doesn't shy from that. There's some tragic backstories going on among the crew, but mostly everybody seems pretty functional and happy to be on board the Starship Enterprise under the leadership of Captain Christopher Pike, who is the captain before uh, Captain Kirk, as original series fans know. And I'm interested to see where this show goes. I may even subscribe for a bit uh, to the streaming service to see what happens there. So, There, I'm done with all the summary of the fandoms. And uh, I'll say more later uh, about um, Strange New Worlds. But in this case, please notice that I've tried to stay as positive as I can, uh, certainly about Star Trek. And I I really want to be as positive as I can about these shows, even while recognizing the very real agenda moments and the genuine reason uh, that well-meaning fans are losing faith in these franchises. So we'll go for a moment then to Chapter 2 about fan responses Sponsor two for this episode is once again, P.S. Patton's novel, The Withering, the last couple of sponsor slots. Uh, this novel was a pre-release, but as of today, uh, release day for this episode, July twenty-six, this book has also released The Withering from P.S. Patton, whose back cover says their world has reached its end. The fight for their future has only just begun. Hey, that sounds a little like uh, Star Trek. Uh, great segue here going from sci-fi to sci-fi. His back cover continues the moon will soon collide with the surface of Nolero, and three orphaned teens have nothing left in the world, but each other as the apocalypse threatens to end all life on their world. Ro is desperate to protect his little brother and secure a future for themselves. While Jima falls captive to her dark past, a sardonic traveling magician offers them a way off their dying world. But at what cost their search for an escape, will force them to face questions of flesh versus spirit, natural life versus eternal life, and physical death versus spiritual death. Family, faith, and courage are at the heart of this end-of-the-world adventure. The Withering is now available. It launched on Tuesday, July the 26th. Here's an endorsement from Shana Dow, who's the author of the Keepers of the Balance series. The Withering is a compelling story set against a stark dystopian landscape. Patton has put together a gripping scenario that combines suspense, intrigue, and a truly likable cast of characters to cheer on. You can get the purchase link for the withering in our show notes for this episode, 122, or see more info, including the cover for the withering at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. All right. So I have summarized a bunch of the big fandoms at length, but hopefully have condensed everything as much as I can. Just to give you some background, if you're not familiar with the trends that have gone across all of these franchises, complaining fans, arguable canon violations, uh, creators often getting annoyed by fans, calling them toxic, that kind of thing. Uh, this is not just limited to one of these fantasy franchises. It's basically happening to all of them, which leads to chapter two, how have fans responded to these canon and character shifts? So I'll spend a little less time here, mainly because you've probably already seen some of these responses, and I've grouped them in sets of three, and the third one I'm actually saving to put under Chapter 3 of our exploration here. Uh, The first response I've seen is the positive response. Some fans are accepting the changes to these fantasy franchises, some fans defend them, and some fans, rightly and sometimes wrongly, uh, find precedent for the change in the story franchises' history itself. For example, uh, Star Trek, I've mentioned earlier, has always leaned humanist. You can't righteously or rightfully uh, yell at Star Trek uh, if, for example, uh, they use film footage from the January 6, 2021 riots at the U.S. Capitol building in a brief montage of video uh, in the pilot for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, where Captain Pike is explaining how Earth had civil wars and then you see all these nuclear explosions. And they're fitting it into Star Trek canon, where there were eugenics wars, which, by the way, is fascinating. You see people now trying to make eugenics a thing again, uh, eternally, and I hope uh, contemporaneously it's not going to be a thing. Star Trek comes down hard against eugenics, and certainly we don't want to have no civil wars around here, uh, but people would... See that video clip and they'd yell at it. I saw some right-wing media getting all outrageous about it and saying, hey, you know, they're 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 attacking Republicans or something, you know, because they put this video clip in there. I've now seen the show and in context, it is so subtle. Uh, and even Captain Pike himself simply makes reference to competing understandings of freedom or competing beliefs about freedom. That's all he says. Uh, it's not good humanists versus bad political conservatives or religions or something like that. Like, yes. The Federation is humanist, but you can go back in the show and like that theme is organic to the show. It has always been there. Uh Star Trek is not necessarily on the side of Judeo-Christianity. Uh 60s TV allowances notwithstanding where Captain Kirk seems to be acknowledging to Apollo uh that we're done with the Greek pantheon. We like the one god just fine. And by the way, in that episode, you can just see uh the writers winking to the camera and go yeah, this show is actually about overthrowing all gods, including the one God, Yahweh, from Judeo-Christianity. And We're just going to use Apollo and polytheist gods uh, to get that done uh, while seeming to pledge allegiance to monotheism, just because the censors say that we have to. Anyway, that's beside the point. And the point is that Star Trek has always done this, and you can find some precedent there. Uh, and there seem to be some new fans who are Uh, finding the precedent there, or they're just going along with the trends, you know, like, hey, it's a big story, you know, there's lots of money behind it, you know, the company wants you to watch it and be happy, Uh, some people seem to be drawn alongside and want to support this, but then there are old fans who are trying to keep an open mind, and usually they're the ones who are going back and finding out, hey, Star Trek has always done this, or, you know, this thing that happened in Doctor Who, like, that actually fits with this back here, or or DC Comics has already been diverse. You know, if they're opting for the Jon Stewart Green Lantern instead of the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, well, that has precedent. You know, Jon Stewart has been a character in the DC world going back for quite some time. So I think the main point there is that fans who seem to think that the uh, new version of the franchise is respecting the past are okay with that. But if the new definitions or the new versions seem to disrespect the past, crossover canon or value agendas over good storytelling uh, then even the new fans will be annoyed or you won't get new fans and the old fans will just get irritated and walk away Uh, of course i think that the main problem is that there is a little bit of incentive for fans new and old uh, to support the story you know you turn into what i've called the support zombie you're just walking along shuffling looking for brains and saying support support and you're not using your brain uh, you just know that the story is a good one because all of the good moral people have told you that it's a good one and of course people who have grown up evangelical understand this phenomenon because the christian support zombie is definitely a creature of habit and in fact uh, josiah de graf in his article a few weeks ago at lorehaven was talking about this idea that Christians need to be supporting Christian stories just because they're Christian, not because they're good. And he's kind of revisiting that issue in light of the newer, better Christian, Christian made fantasy we're getting. And Josiah is saying, no, let's still keep our standard, you know, let's not support stuff because it's clean or Christian or because we want to send a message somewhere, uh, let's support stuff because it is good. And you can find that article linked in the show notes. So that's the positive response to franchises that are going different directions. And now let's come to the negative response. Uh, fans are bemoaning the changes or they are hate watching the shows. And in some cases, and I'll explain what I mean in a moment, uh, they are taking their criticisms and they're using them to make some big money. Uh, there's a bit of a cottage industry of folks who are hate watching these shows and then they go onto YouTube or their other social media and then they are fixing to yell at them. Uh, I'm not in the camp of yelling about these stories. Uh, We don't talk about bad, woke uh, stories or stuff here as much as on on Fantastical Truth. But I will say that I am almost in the camp uh, of negative response to these stories. Uh, I've mentioned before, and I'm not saying that this is the option or the best option or whatever, uh, but I'm no longer a subscriber to the big three streaming services, Netflix, Disney, and Amazon. I simply realize that i hadn't had the time to keep up with all of these shows there's some good ones uh, we kind of lost track of lost in space on netflix uh, there are some shows on disney plus we were liking that i guess now we've just kind of forgotten about uh, and then amazon we just weren't using so much you know not even for the ordering so we just we just unsubscribed i think i have a free trial right now that they keep begging me to sign up for uh but the joke's on them i'm not going to sign up again i'm just not going to use it that much and certainly if they ruin uh, the rings of power. Uh, then, frankly, I'll have a little bit of an incentive to penalize this gargantuan Borg corporation that's taking over planet Earth. So that's as negative as I get. Uh, Yet some fans go further. Uh, They want to obey the OG Emperor uh, before J.J. Abrams somehow returned him and embrace their anger. And on social media and YouTube, as I mentioned, uh, some of these folks who I think earnestly don't like the franchise's new turns but they can seem to form a full time living criticizing these shows, riling up fans, posting uh the really not toxic comments, not always toxic comments, just negative comments, and it seems pretty clear that if all the shows suddenly magically turn good, uh these guys would be out of a job that doesn't mean i'm not I'm not saying they're liars, I'm not saying they're outrage mongers or anything, but there is a perverse incentive then. Uh, to find fault with shows like doctor who or the rings of power or marvel movies or things like that and i think that should inform our discernment of the critics just as much as we ought to discern the original uh, fantasy franchises Uh, for example there's a few youtubers i watch uh, who are constantly talking about the cw superhero shows and how rotten they've become uh, or certain Disney Marvel movies that have failed, you know, they will use clickbait headlines because it works for the algorithm. Obi Wan show fails. Thor: Love and Thunder fails. Uh, and usually they will also praise movies that won better. Like there was a few of them that I think rightfully said, you know, Lightyear fails. Wow, and a lot of them seemed really confused that Disney Pixar's Lightyear, supposedly a Toy Story spinoff movie, had failed whereas the Minions movie took off like uh, one of Gru's rockets. What in the world happened? And Some of these can be really informative, some of these videos. Uh, Some of them can be pretty funny. I find some of them a guilty pleasure, and a lot of them are managing to get scoops. Uh, For example, there was one guy who got a scoop about a a character apparently from the Rings of Power, and it seemed pretty obvious once they put up his picture, like, oh, well, this guy's going to be the future Dark Lord Sauron. So, you know, they're crossing canon just a little bit because... You know, Sauron's not just a human being, but he, you know, can he shapeshift and whatever? I'll let, let you, you know, Tolkien prequel material folks uh, sort that out in the comment section somewhere. But speaking of comment sections, that's where a lot of the, uh, I think, undue and poisonous negativity can arise in this discourse. Uh, like any critical review formats, whether negative reviews of books that go from snarky to uh, mocking and scathing or any of these videos, uh, I think these do bring some risks. And I don't mean that they are toxic, you know, automatically toxic, which is just a word that people use when they want to call something sinful, but they don't want to say the word sinful because it sounds religious. And then they'd have to defend the moral foundation of the accusation. But I think that Christians can look at this and they can say, okay, does the angry review video uh, or the hateful comment, like does that bring out the same feelings in me? Uh, If that person is yelling, does that subconsciously make me want to yell as well? Uh, And then do I get a dopamine hit from being so right when the stupid woke franchise is so wrong? And then do I get just a little bit hooked on that dopamine rush because I feel so right? And then maybe I want a little bit more of that, a little bit more of that. Uh, And then the quick pace of the discourse and the lure of getting the new behind the scenes information and the lure of being right because the woke show that I knew was going to fail actually did fail. And then I'm finding my community and I'm basing my community on negative response to stories rather than love of stories. This is a big risk. And I think it is bigger even for Christians who know that this is not the reason we are called to be fans of anything. And I'll get to the First Corinthians thirteen text in my next chapter here. I just can't wait to get to it. Now I think this is really the thing we need to be aware of. It's like as fans, we are supposed to, in theory, be lovers of these stories, but there is now a little industry uh, that can accidentally feed the idols that we have, for popularity, or being right, or being more powerful as little tiny humans on the internet than the big billion-dollar corporation that ha ha is going to spend millions of dollars on a middle earth tv series only to fail so hard uh there is a um a populism there that i i don't find suspicious uh but it makes me a little bit wary maybe this is just the temptation in myself but i dare say there's a lot of temptations going on in other people's hearts as well so those are the risks i see here uh, to get ahead of myself and share some opinions On the other side, to reiterate, I'm not trying to get, you know, big bad Disney or Amazon Prime Studios or Netflix or Marvel or DC or any of those off the hook. Yes, I read. I see what these people are telling you about their motives. And I say if they tell you who they are, then the wise man will believe them. Uh, I'm not going to look at popular culture through rose colored glasses. Absolutely. Producers and creators and showrunners are being influenced sometimes i think by memo uh to put these foreign themes these uh these non-canon themes uh these these let's just call them woke themes or sexualityist themes into their stories and i think often these religious agendas i do call them religious uh will take precedent will be more important to the creators uh over and above the needs of canon or the needs of a good story or the needs to develop the character in a way that makes sense based on how he or she acted in previous seasons. I remember uh, real quick. I remember, I think it was literally the summer between seasons on uh, the CW back when they were doing more superhero shows. It felt like a memo went out and like, I. Oh, that's right. It was between seasons one and two of Supergirl. Cause I remember there was a, a same sex relationship joke, maybe a reference or two in the first season. And then by season two, uh, they had turned a character uh, completely same-sex attracted who had not indicated anything like that in the previous season. It was just so stunning. You had to think that somebody got a memo uh, with an activist group's uh, letterhead on that. There was something that went out, and the writers just had to do it. You know, so I'm not getting the writers off the hook. They're still responsible. Uh, but mainly it's an issue of does this fit the story? You know, Is this something that just comes out of nowhere Uh, just as weird as if suddenly every character changed hair color for no reason. Uh, that's kind of what it felt like just to use a very benign comparison there. Producers are making changes to the world, to the canon, to the characters based on agendas. And I think probably the clearest example of that lately seems to be, uh, the rings of power, uh, TV show. I don't know if they're going to make somebody in the middle earth, same sex attracted. If they do, uh, I think that that would even for them be a step too far, but if, if they would, It wouldn't surprise me or if they gave a a reference to that here and there it wouldn't surprise me Uh, the best way you could do that by the way come to think of it would be if you had Sauron behave that way because Sauron is a deceiver (laughs) enough said Uh, usually though these kinds of changes that I see uh, certainly Marvel and DC like I I don't see a Marvel movie uh, trying to tell me that it's okay to kill an unborn child or that it's okay to have a certain tax policy as I mentioned in the concession stand Uh, This seems more about uh, the honoring of certain sexual identities than it is political identities. So people will talk about woke politics and use phrases like that. Uh, That's just a language to express what are actually religious issues. Uh, These are religious issues that are taking over the stories. And even toxic fans then have a legitimate complaint. Wait a minute. What happened to Doctor Who? We had the 11th Doctor, the 12th Doctor. Like There were minimal references to sexual identities and mostly emphasis on these wholesome family relationships across space and time and these friendships and everything. And now suddenly something else is going on. It's taken on a completely different flavor. I sympathize with fans who feel that way. You cannot help your feelings. I think it's wrong for the social media accounts. And sometimes the producers and directors of these big corporations to yell about toxic fans because they didn't do a story. Good. If you guys made a character that didn't naturally resonate with people, then you cannot just yell at the fans because the character has a certain ethnicity or even a certain sexual orientation. If you do it right, then the character is going to be popular and people at least are going to shut up and just enjoy it and not go out complaining about it. Or they may even go out and say, hey, this is a great character. This is how you do it. This is new. This is wonderful. I see some of that going on with uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I haven't seen any agenda moments in there. But the crew is very ethnically diverse. There's some new people on board, all of whom, at least in the pilot, are very likable. And I haven't seen anybody yelling about that. Fans can be very forgiving and very tolerant to more than I think these big corporations know. And I think it's just kind of a social media cheat code to yell at toxic fans if your show isn't hitting the numbers that you wanted to expect. Well, this leads me to our third fan response, which I will address in our final chapter of this show. Chapter three, I've called, how should Christian fans react to these changes in fantasy franchises? So we've already overviewed the various changes going on to the big ones. And then we've talked about the positive and negative responses of fans. I'm going to suggest that the Christian response ought to be classified something like mixed. And I I don't think this is uh, just me projecting my own uh, default response all over everybody else. I think, as you'll see in a moment, it goes down to uh, our response as fans. Is, is it based on love or a desire to love that has a good faith response to these things and then only reluctantly uh, goes negative or goes toxic? Uh, is that uh, toxicity or that negative response? Is that uh, reluctant or are we embracing that? Good, good. You know, let's act like our heroes and not embrace the dark side, even if we do need to fight but this is my position or rather it's the position I want to have when the franchise goes woke or they're emphasizing sexual identities over story progress. Uh, I don't like this position just because it's a middle way, you know, middle ways are not always right. It is of course wrong though, and often slander uh, to dismiss all criticism as toxic. Like sometimes I'm just going to be all critical. Like I don't want to see Thor love and thunder because I think it's too flippant and I don't like the ideas that I've read about. Like I've, You know that I actually don't want to see a movie when I just don't care about getting the spoilers. Like, I got all the spoilers for the last two Marvel movies. The last one I really enjoyed uh, was, of course, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. But not all criticism is toxic. Uh, I reject that out of hand. And so does actor uh, Henry Cavill, actually, uh, who will presumably continue to play Superman. Fingers crossed. In 2019, an interviewer asked him about toxic fandom, and Henry Cavill was more positive Uh, He was a little bit more, well, I'd say mixed positive there, uh, given what he later said. Uh, He struck a good posture here. He said, quote, I understand what you're saying, but when it comes to fans, it is a fan's right to have whatever opinion they want to have. And people are going to be upset, especially when you're talking about books or games, because you're never going to be the exact person who they had in their head or who they played on The Witcher 3, for example. I don't necessarily consider that toxic. I just consider that passionate. And it's something which I have obviously had to come to terms with over the years. End quote. That was Henry Cavill in 2019. Uh, I like the way that he reframed that question. He framed it more positively. Uh, but then a few years later, in May 2021, uh, he he made a more mixed response. I think he had been facing some genuine fan toxicity more personally uh, in his comment section on Instagram or something like that. I think he had a new girlfriend, and maybe people were getting a little too personal in what they said. Wasn't so much, "Hey, you don't look like this uh, character I like," but Hey, you know your girlfriend's ugly. Like you know, just nasty, nasty stuff. Anyway, interestingly, uh, in his post, uh, he kind of uh, not, he didn't walk back the whole toxic fans thing, but he did talk about toxic responses. And he said, "Quote: There has been lots of, let's call it speculation for now, about my private life and professional partnerships. Now, while I do appreciate the passion. Hey, there's his word again, by the way. Quick interjection here: passion. He does appreciate that. He's very thoughtful about this. Back to the quote." and support by those very people who are speculating, it has come to such a point that I needed to say something, which in itself is a bad thing. We are living in an age of social enlightenment. More and more, people are realizing that their views may have been blinkered and that they need to expand them to encompass others. So to you out there who are expressing your disdain and showing your displeasure through a surprising variety of ways, it's time to stop. I know it can be fun to speculate, to gossip, and to dive into our own personal echo chambers on the internet, but your passion is misplaced and it causes harm to the people I care about most End quote. I think the context there, yes, is more personal. Uh, he's defending real life people that he knows who are just pictures to some of his fans on social media or the folks who like seeing him in mission impossible or Snyder's justice league or movies like that. And I really appreciate his tone there. I appreciate both responses. Like he's defending the fans from unwarranted accusations but then also saying, hey, there is a point where passion goes too far, and now you're being rude and nasty. And that's what I group under the mixed response that I think Christians could do well to practice uh, in response to either fandom that is actually toxic or the stories that they're complaining about. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, and here we are at last, uh, I favor a more biblical definition of passion, uh, which is really just another way to say love. If fans love these stories, then they're going to be passionate about them. Uh, they're going to be infatuated. Uh, they're going to have a feeling that I think is very much like being in love. But it's not just so much about romantic love. It's about uh, affection. That's uh, about having a relationship with these fictional characters and these worlds that we can only imagine. And that is where I think we can apply the famous love passage of First Corinthians 13. Why not apply this to fandom? not just the uh, the people that we love and the friends whom we love. This is the text again, verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 13. Quote, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, end quote. Believes, hopes, endures, does not insist, not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Do these things describe a more toxic, complaining, grumbling, possibly even very profitable response to stories that go woke or contradict canon or any of those things? I think Paul's warnings do describe this excessive posture of some fans. Uh, I think that that means our negativity, our rightful negativity towards some stories can be vulnerable to idolatry. Uh, This passion as actor Henry Cavill said, can take a bad turn. You can get blinkered, as he says. Henry Cavill is British. Uh, In other words, it can get corrupt. And this is something that Christians definitely know well based on Genesis 3. All of our good impulses going right down to our very human nature has been corrupted by sin, by idolatry. Therefore, the gifts that we make and share and enjoy can also be corrupted by these sinful impulses, uh, including the gift of fandom. However, are we going to get mad about this? Are we going to get angry? Are we going to envy or boast or be arrogant or rude? Uh, Even while the showrunner is being arrogant or rude about the fans, I don't that that's appropriate for Christians. And even as I say that I'm feeling a little convicted. I want to think about my own comments or the things that I've said about you know those bad DC guys that tried to run justice League. They did. They were envious and boastful. They were arrogant and rude and insisted on their own way. Some of those guys sinned pretty bad and it had nothing to do with the sexual revolution or the social agendas. They were just uh, blinkered, as Enrique Vi would say if I'm using that right. Hey, British listeners, I hope I'm using that right. However, I think that the best response there uh, for that type of nonsense is to grieve the corruption of these stories. I think it's okay to feel sad. And I think a lot of fans, uh, maybe they reveal their sadness, but then they try to change the subject really quick and they get mad because sadness leaves you vulnerable, but through anger, you have power and you don't have to face your grief over the story that's taken a wrong turn, uh, almost like a close friend who took a wrong turn and now you feel like you can't be friends with them anymore. But if you go too far, if you are weaponizing or making a profitable enterprise out of your complaints about these stories, are we not vulnerable uh, to Paul's uh, definition of rejoicing at wrongdoing? Uh, Does it make someone happy when they find out that the rings of power, despite spending hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, could fail? Do I feel happy about that or do I feel grieved? I think that's a good test to use on myself. I think I'd prefer feeling disappointed i I would prefer uh following the apostle paul's wisdom here inspired by the holy spirit that love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things unfortunately i think that means that we need to make ourselves vulnerable we maybe need to risk loving a new story knowing that it could get corrupted in the future you know let's say that russell t davies comes back and does really well with dr who and suddenly everybody's saying, oh, classic Doctor Who is back. You know, David Tennant did great. And it was good to see Matt Smith again. Whatever they do with that. Um, It would take me a while to feel comfortable trying that show out again, because then I'd be afraid that it would uh, be turned back toward the sexual revolution or something. And then undergo these uh, these political agendas like, but maybe I ought to try that again. Not ought to. It's just a TV show. But if I feel interested in that, maybe I ought to at least err on the side of believing and hoping and enduring all things, even if ultimately I end up disappointed. And then we're back to the phrase, I think, forget it, was it a poet who said that? I don't think it's biblical. And a poet said, better to have loved and lost than to have not loved at all. And one thing, though, that gets in the way is the outrage industry about these kinds of stories. And that is a very real threat, that even while people may take over these fantasy franchises, uh, for ill ends uh, some of the critics uh, can also i think take an ill turn and may even share what is often called fake news where they may share some fake news or at least some out of context news about a supposedly corrupt story i mentioned earlier some of the outrage that i saw about a video clip used in the pilot of star trek strange new worlds and then i watch it myself and i go uh, there's very little agenda there and what little agenda there is it's just war is bad uh <laughs> We should all agree that war is bad, right? Even if we think it's a necessary bad to have sometimes, if something worse is the alternative. But Star Trek has always been like that. You know, even going back to Captain Kirk, you know, who would get his shirt ripped and fight a lizard man on a planet. You know, the ending of that story was trying to find understanding with the enemy. And then Picard took that even further, you know, didn't want to shoot the phasers, but he would. But, you know, his his happy place was at the negotiation table. That was a whole Federation ideal all along. And it's not something you can complain about. In a new Star Trek show, unless you're just trying to rile people up who haven't actually seen the show. uh, This leads, I think, to an impulse that C.S. Lewis warned against. I'm going to close with a couple of C.S. Lewis quotes here. In Mere Christianity, speaking of war, uh, Lewis warned about uh, a danger that people could face in a real war uh, if they wanted things to be worse than they actually were. And he said, quote, suppose one reads a story of filthy atrocities in the paper then suppose that something turns up suggesting that the story might not be quite true or not quite so bad as it was made out is one's first feeling. Thank God, even they aren't quite so bad as that, or is it a feeling of disappointment and even a determination to cling to the first story for the sheer pleasure of thinking your enemies are as bad as possible. If it is the second, then it is, I am afraid the first step in a process which, if followed to the end, will make us into devils. You see, one is beginning to wish that black was a little blacker. If we give that wish its head, later on we shall wish to see gray as black, and then to see white itself as black. Finally, we shall insist on seeing everything, God and our friends and ourselves included, as bad, and not be able to stop doing it. We shall be fixed forever in a universe of pure hatred. End quote. I think that that description resonates very well. We may actually see people who are on that course toward a universe of pure hatred. You don't want to go there. And Lewis's reasoning here is totally biblical, and it matches the common sense that we've seen if we pay attention to people around us. I don't want to fall into that trap. I want to be the person who, upon reading that the bad story that was reported before, even about that terrible politician, wasn't true after all. Uh, She was misquoted. He was framed or the showrunner, you know, the quotes were actually taken out of context and he actually does respect the previous Canon. I want to be that guy who goes, oh, thank goodness that was a misreporting or that was a rumor that turned out not to be true. I'd rather be the guy who feels relief rather than the guy who thinks to himself, darn, now I can't make that clickbaity video or even, well, I'll just ignore that or far worse oh, it doesn't matter. I'm going to make the clickbaity video anyway. I don't want to be that guy, nor do I want to fall into the trap of being entertained by folks like that. I think another risk here is reflected in another Lewis quote. And I actually wrote about this uh, in an article that I wrote for Speculative Faith back while we were doing that called Why Are Fans Turning Against Their Favorite Franchises? We'll link to that in the show notes too. There's some more thoughts there about idolatry and seeing stories in perspective that I think could be very helpful. Uh, But the other risk here is that fans uh, have a type of gluttonous expectation of stories. But it's a gluttony that doesn't look like gluttony. Uh, Lewis called this a gluttony of delicacy. And here's uh, where I quote myself from the article. As C.S. Lewis once explained, it's a kind of gluttony that doesn't look like gluttony. Speaking through his satirical demon screw tape, Lewis called this a gluttony of delicacy. Just switch out a few words. I'll show them in boldface and Lewis's wisdom applies. And here's the quote as I have it, uh, where I've taken what Lewis wrote uh, and then switched out some words. Uh, You can find the exact bold face uh, in the show notes link there. Again, borrowing from Lewis, quote, "Well, actually, he's he's describing a bad fan. He's describing a nitpicky, gluttonous, delicacy, gluttonous fan. And he says, quote, he is a positive terror to storytellers and other fans. He is always turning from what has been offered him to say with a demure little sigh and a smile. Oh, please, please, all I want is a story that makes me happy, completely original, but not too subversive, and the teeniest, weeniest bit of nostalgia. You see? Because what he wants is more creative and less popular level than what has been set before him, he never recognizes as gluttony his determination to get what he wants, however troublesome it may be to others. At the very moment of indulging his appetite, he believes that he is practicing temperance. The anti-fan is in what may be called the all-I-want state of mind. All he wants is a movie properly made or a TV show properly adapted or a novel properly written, but he never finds any creative or any friend who can do these simple things properly, because his properly conceals an insatiable demand for the exact and almost impossible palatial pleasures which he imagines he remembers from the past past described by him as the days when you could get really great movies but known to us as the days when his senses were more easily pleased and he had pleasures of other kinds which made him less dependent on those of the popular culture end quote again that is an amalgamation of c.s lewis's original demon talking about a woman who has a gluttony of delicacy about food and tea and little pastries and things like that and i just switched out a bunch of words to make it about a nitpicky fan. Uh, Let the fandom take warning. So what does this look like for the discerning Christian fan? Let's go through these pretty quickly. Uh, I think it means you might need to cancel some stuff if it's simply not good or if it's wasting your time, or maybe even if you're tempted into uh, hate watching that thing or wasting your time watching it just so you can complain about it somewhere. Uh, In my case, uh, I did cancel Disney Plus. I simply wasn't challenged or entertained enough by what was on there. I admit that I'm also burdened by my conscience about supporting the not-so-secret agendas uh, that the Disney creators admitted uh, that they're trying to put into their shows. Uh, the same is true of Amazon. Uh, I've canceled Prime for quite some time. Uh, it also has some labor issues you know, and some anti-local issues. I want to support local bookstores and things uh, more than just getting everything from Amazon all the time. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to engage their stuff. Like, Obviously, I'm making a whole lengthy podcast episode about engaging these issues. I don't want to just ignore these big fantasy franchises, even though fantastical truth emphasizes Christian made stories. Every once in a while, we'll do a topic like this. Uh, So I'm going to still watch Disney, even Marvel, even star Wars. I don't mind ordering stuff from Amazon and for other franchises that are kind of in an unsteady state right now, like DC or Dr. Who um, I do want to keep optimistic about that. You know, maybe Russell T Davies will turn that ship around. Uh, Maybe DC will find its studio head and restore the Snyderverse, or at least they'll start making some movies that are in more continuity now and not just try to be Diet Marvel type movies. Uh, I will want to believe all things that the Apostle Paul said, at least until proven otherwise. You know, maybe even the Rings of Power will surprise us. Maybe the marketing was just terrible and the show itself is fine. Who knows? But if I'm not erring on the side of positivity, I may turn into that person Lewis warned about, who shall wish to see gray as black And that would indeed be devilish i would rather risk disappointment after having initially hoped and believed and endured all things even practicing this with fandom type things Uh, but i'd rather be disappointed than be angry uh, even before i see the thing i'd rather show good faith about a person and then learn to mistrust that person uh, rather than start with the mistrust because almost certainly if i start with the mistrust i'm probably just going to get what i give What's the alternative uh, being rude on like to that person? No, people matter more than stories, but we can practice with the stories. Uh, we can have a good faith response about these things. Try to be positive, at least until proven otherwise, as I was for the rings of power. Uh, we even had a few uh, news posts at Lorehaven about that. and I just haven't put up any lately because, you know, it's not as interesting right now. You know, if the show comes and takes everybody by storm, maybe we'll have a podcast episode in which we get to praise it. Uh, If we didn't like it, then we probably won't have an episode at all because we'd much rather just let it die of attrition uh, rather than constantly criticize it and build the podcast or build Lorehaven uh, on the back of negative reviews. I'd rather practice the positivity because there's so much less of it in this world. Uh, If other stories like Star Trek with strange new worlds or future versions of Doctor Who or DC or Marvel or Star Wars or any of those uh, show signs of honoring the past, uh, rather than standing atop the past in order to build more monuments to the sexual revolution or modern identities and such, uh, if they find signs of honoring the past, I'll be happy about that. I will not be disappointed. I will not begin to wish that darkness was darker. I won't be like Lego Batman only wanting to work in shades of gray and black. Like I'd rather work in the light. And if stories get closer to the light, even a little, I'm going to clap my hands. I'm going to applaud. I'm going to praise. And I might even drop a name check uh, unasked for for star trek strange new worlds on the podcast even if i watch the second episode after i'm done recording and it ends up terrible hey at least that first episode was really really good and so were the clips that i saw on youtube just in time for a positive example for this topic it leads me back to my test there uh, if i'm disappointed by a story do i allow myself to grieve the loss and move on to a better story or do i try to smother over the grief and sadness with anger so i can at least feel more powerful i think that really needs to be the test And it really needs to go back to, am I into idols, uh, the idols of anger and the idols of power, or am I into feeling vulnerable and realizing that a story cannot deliver on all promises, all good promises, only Jesus Christ can do that. Well, we'll leave it there, although I'd love to hear your views on this topic. uh, Email podcast at lorehaven.com or find us on the socials to share your thoughts about supposed toxic fandom or toxic uh, franchise showrunners and what Christians should do in response to both of those. All right, from there, let's quickly move to our comm station. Uh, Emery Alexander wrote this about episode 120. Uh, That was the other solo show that I did uh, about Christian fantasy, Christian fiction freedom. And Emery said, quote, I appreciate your take on this obviously subjective topic. As a reader and aspiring writer, i like to use Philippians 4.8 as a set of guidelines or even parameters. Whatever we read or write, we will, of necessity, think about. This means that I want to read and write books that are just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. However, the first two descriptions in the list are true and honest, which means that the story must be honest and tell the truth. If the story is overly idealistic, it is not true or honest. If the story is too gritty, gory, sensual, etc., it violates the other requirements. It may take more work to stay within the Philippians 4 framework, but I believe it will make for a superior story. Thanks again, and keep up the good work. End quote. Appreciate that, Emery. I think I largely agree. I think a lot of folks, however, views Philippians 4:8 as kind of a checklist format that leads, in their view, to uh, more saccharine or sentimental stories. Uh, like you said, stories must also be true or honest, but not true or honest to a fault where you are reveling in the negativity, you're reveling in the sins or the descriptions of the sins. Like usually people can tell the difference. Usually it tends to stick out if the author is going too far into the dark stuff, but you do need to show some evil act and some evil beliefs in the story uh, in order to make the truth and the light and the goodness and the beauty shine all the brighter. Even the Bible does that, but the Bible does not glory in the negativity glory in the sin simply describes it and then moves on in order to glorify Christ. Meanwhile at Lorehaven, subscribe free for weekly reviews every Friday. Great articles and access to the Lorehaven Guild. Uh, that is our exclusive community on Discord. You go to Lorehaven.com slash subscribe, put in your email address and a little more info there, or just use the pop-up box at the bottom of the website. We will then send you the exclusive guild access code. You can portal in there. As of this date, in time to finish up our ongoing book quest uh, through the George MacDonald fantasy Fantasties, and I believe Elijah David is planning in August to lead a new quest through the N.D. Wilson book 100 Cupboards. Going into the fall, we are also planning some back-to-school special articles designed to help parents find the best fantastical stories for their kids of different ages and different genres. We have been putting those together, planning those for quite some time, so watch for those in the coming months as we move into the back-to-school season. Next on Fantastical Truth, now that Zachary Russell and I will have returned from our road trips, I'm going to need to catch him up on all of the big news that he missed at the Realm Makers Conference. Alas, that this year only I could attend the conference and Zach could not, but I did get to join Lorehaven staff creators like Josiah DeGraff, Marion Jacobs, and LG McCary, as well as review team member Jessica Boudreau and many Christian authors and Lorehaven sponsors. If you, like Zach, couldn't make it to the conference, I will share everything that I enjoyed about it. Meanwhile, your favorite superhero may fail. Your favorite sci-fi may go woke. Your favorite fantasy may violate its own canon or the spirit of its famous creator. Even if they do, all is not lost. In the real world, our creator, never breaks canon our creator never sacrifices truth for lies our creator does not value human identity over the integrity of his story he will resolve every plot thread his promises will never fail that's why we trust solely in his true story above all other lesser human stories as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth